Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here this morning. Glad you're with us. I hope you're, hope you're feeling great. A couple of things. Um, we have the windows open, and so it might get cool, but after our, our sweat box summer we had in here, we're welcoming the cool air, so you are each responsible for the window in your region, all right? That's <laughs> and if you got other people there, you have to come to a consensus. I don't want any fighting. I don't want any shirt splits over the windows or anything like that but you can open and close as you would see fit. Um, and then also the lunch for new people. Um, if you are a new person, and how do you know if you're a new person? We had a lunch for new people last year about this time. So if you have come to the church since then, we'd love to have you join us. So anytime over the last year, if you have not, if you weren't here last year when we did that, some of you have been here since day one and you just want free lunch, um, you are on the bottom of the list of priorities for the lunch for new people. Um, but we would love to join you. It's, lunch is provided. Um, it'll be delivered here. We're going to start right after the service. There's the room with the stained glass windows over in that end of the lobby. We'd love to have you join us. We will eat lunch together, just share a few things about the church, introduce you to the staff and leaders of the church, answer any questions. We would love to have you join us. And even if you didn't register beforehand, just come eat food with us. We, will, we would love to meet you and have you join us for lunch. All right. We are in week three of a sermon series we're doing called Upright. Upright, and the main verse that inspired it is right there on the screen. You can kind of see it. It's, that's the main sermon graphic. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. The point of this series is to recognize, as we look through the Bible, there are a number of topics that God covers, that Jesus teaches about, that says, if you want things to go well for you, then do this. If you want to walk the path of the upright, then do this. If you do this, things are going to go well for you. You can read through the Scripture and really recognize that God says there's a best way to live. There's a good way to live that things are going to go well for you if you just do these things. So we started that in week one, just kind of an introduction. And then last week we talked about um, confession. <laughs> wow. Whoa. <laughs> How does the pastor expect me to remember what he talks about when he can't even remember what he talks about? Confession. How the start of any relationship with God is just confessing that we need a Savior, that we need a relationship with God, that we are not all, you know, we don't have everything perfect in our lives, that we have brokenness and hurt and sin. And the way to bring healing to that is to bring it out into the light, confess it to God, and to allow Him to forgive us. Well, today, we are talking about something a little bit similar, but it is forgiveness, or more specifically, loving our enemies. Ooh, everyone's just like, great. Loving our enemies, and really the starting point for this, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 today. And this is Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, what a lot of people refer to as the greatest sermon ever given. This is Jesus' you know, big sermon at the start of his ministry where he is teaching the crowds of people in the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 45, I'm going to read those, and this is what Jesus says. This is kind of the starting point for our message today as we introduce this idea of loving our enemies. Jesus says this in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, let's just open up this time in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. As we open your word, we just pray that it would cause 
us to change, that it would bear fruit in our lives, that we would recognize the areas that we need to grow to be more like you. And I pray that your words would ring true today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so Jesus is saying these words in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling the people, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, everyone would have gotten that. Everyone would have gotten that. The love your neighbor part was understood because this was from the Old Testament law. This was Levitical law, the rules of the Old Testament. You love your neighbor. When people say, what's the golden rule? You love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself. They understood this part. But there was also an understanding in this culture that your enemies were to be opposed, to be rejected, to be battled against. So there was a very distinct line between, well, there's our neighbor and then there's our enemies. We will love our neighbors, but we're going to hate our enemies. And this was accepted. This was commonplace there. And what was happening in the culture of Jesus more than that was that a lot of the people had this view. Your neighbor was anyone who agreed with you or anyone who lived like you, and even anyone who looked like you or lived geographically where you were. And anybody else was your enemy, and therefore you were allowed to hate and oppose and battle them, right? That was anyone who didn't share your beliefs or behavior was considered your enemy and opposed to you. Now, hmm, I wonder if that rings true in our culture today, right? I wonder if that teaching rings true in our culture today. So Jesus' words in Matthew 5, he would, it, they would have been jarring. They would have been eye-opening to the audience because they, of course, recognize love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And Jesus says, I know you know that part, but here's something new. Here is really what we're going for. I'm also telling you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Those who you consider on the opposite side, love them. And they would have kind of been like, what, what did he say? This is a new thing. Like, did I hear that right? Maybe you have to do that in church sometimes. What did that guy say? This is what Jesus was saying. And they would have been like, I'm not sure about that. Well, Jesus continues. In the next chapter is where he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, most of us in here would know the Lord's Prayer if we have any sort of church background in our life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love that part. That's great. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, yes, Lord. Provide for us. And forgive, what is the next line? And forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses. How many, how many debts and debtors or, you know, there's kind of, a, it's kind of a skew here, right? Some people say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Some people say forgive us our trespasses. But that next line, forgive us our debts, we like that. Yes, Lord, forgive us our debts. And then the next line really would have been eye-opening for the people. As we forgive our debtors. People are like, what? Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. It's almost like Jesus is saying the prayer should be, forgive us in the same way that we forgive the people who have sinned against us. And that would have been eye-opening. That's eye-opening for me. Now, what does he mean by that, people would have been saying? Well, just to clear things up. A couple of verses later, Jesus continues in Matthew 6, verse 14, says this, just in case there was anybody there and maybe anybody here who's still unclear as to what Jesus is teaching us, says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And I've found that it's times where I think, well, I wonder what Jesus means by that. 
I found that Jesus is actually pretty good at saying what he means, right? This is what he means. The same measure that we show forgiveness to others, that's how God is going to forgive us. That is sobering, especially in our world where everyone is like, who's against me? Who's for me? I'm against those people, and I'm not going to forgive their sins, or I've been hurt by an individual. This person has wronged me, so the last thing I'm going to do is show forgiveness and love to them. And yet Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive those who have sinned against you. And boy, I think about our world today. Imagine just for a moment, the good that would be done in our world if everybody forgave and loved the same way Jesus did, right? If everybody viewed those who had wronged them, if everybody viewed those who were opposed to them the same way that Jesus shows love to us. But instead in our world, and certainly in this world when Jesus was teaching, what we have is anger and hurt and resentment and revenge These are huge forces in our world today, right? And none of us in this room are exempt from that. Like, these are forces that we have in us that we can see around the world. Nobody in this room is exempt from what Jesus is saying today. But he says, again, the upright path, the path that I have for you, Jesus teaches his followers, is to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to forgive those who have hurt you. This is the upright path. And as all these other things that we've been studying, God says, do this and it's going to go well for you. It said that in the verse. If you love your enemies, then you will be considered children of God. If you forgive those, if you pray for those who persecute you, then you are children of God. There is blessing that comes from that. The Mayo Clinic did a study on this idea that we're talking about today. Bitterness and resentment and anger versus forgiveness and love and reconciliation. And they did a study just in terms of our physical health, how this affects us. So they did a study, and, they, and there's a quote that I actually want to start with from the Mayo Clinic, and this will be up on the screen. Can we throw that quote up there? That next slide, here it is. It's a little small, I'll read it too. This is from the Mayo Clinic talking about hurt and resentment. Being hurt by someone, particularly someone you love and trust, can cause anger, sadness, and confusion. If you dwell on hurtful events or situations, grudges filled with resentment, vengeance, and hostility can take root. If you allow negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness or sense of injustice. This was after, you know, this is their medical view. Now, have you ever known anybody that maybe had been hurt, maybe had been wronged, and their bitterness had just taken root, and it's all-consuming? Have you ever known anyone like that? Like, every conversation gets turned back around to how they have been wronged, how they have been hurt, and they're never going to forgive it. This is, that's an example of someone who has allowed that bitterness and resentment to take root, and it has swallowed up anything else positive in their life. I know people like that. There's been seasons where I've gone through that, and it's just you feel that resentment building up, and you're like, man, i gotta, I got to not allow this to take root in my life. So this is, again, from the Mayo Clinic. They said, if you are unforgiving, if you allow that to happen, you might experience these things. You might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and every new experience. You might become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present moment at all. You might become depressed or anxious. You might feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose, and you will lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. It will affect your relationships with everybody. 
Now, they studied this. Medically speaking, letting go of grudges, letting go of resentment and anger can cause these things. This can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, and improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. All from living with an attitude of forgiveness and not allowing that resentment to take root in our life. So as all topics in this series, there's the things that God says, here's the path I want you to walk on. This is the upright path. But we don't just do it because God says so, even though hopefully that would be enough for us. But God is also saying there's also all these benefits. It's good for you. It's good for you emotionally, spiritually, and physically to do these things. All of these benefits, God is saying, do this because I'm telling you, but also because it's good for you and good things will happen. It turns out it is the best way to live that God is laying out for us. And this affects us physically. It affects our relationships. It affects our emotions. It affects, you know, every part of our life. Imagine if you, imagine all the good that comes if you just had the mentality that Jesus teaches of, I'm going to lay down resentment and unforgiveness, and I am going to love those who are opposed to me. I'm not going to carry grudges, and I'm going to forgive those who have hurt me. Imagine how many ways that's going to affect your life for the positive. Just relationships, just in your marriage, that's going to be a huge benefit. In your career, if you're known as someone who's not the resentful, like, spiteful ladder climber, but you're a team player, that's going to benefit you, of course. All of these things are benefits by walking in the way that God has for us, the upright path. So if you want to do this, the topic for today, if you want to walk with Jesus, find the people you don't like, the people you are opposed to, and love them. Love them. Walk in the way of love. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Some of you are nervous, like, oh, man, what's he going to talk about next? Well, I'm going to talk about this next. Who are your enemies then? You're like, here's the teaching of Jesus. Who's my enemy? Who are our enemies? Well, I want to kind of define that by talking about something very generally that we do as people. We, love, we are side takers. We love to pick sides. We love to know who's on my side and who's on another side. So, for example, if you have a group of kids and you need them to do something, you need to motivate them, the fastest way you can motivate them is say, okay, kids, we're going to divide you up into teams, team X and team Y, and instantly what happens? The people in one team, they recognize, oh, this is my team. These people are for me. I like them, and now I'm opposed to them. And instantly it creates this mechanism that we all have in us. We are so quick to recognize who is with us and who is with them, right? We pick sides and we divide the world, no matter what the issue is, into two groups, us and them, right? We do it. We do it with any possible, you know, our world is full of disagreements, and every disagreement or, or issue around our world has an us, this is who we are, and that's them, and we are opposed to them. Now, this happens with, I mean, it's election season, so let's be real, this certainly happens with politics, right? Every commercial now, I've, I don't watch anything live just so I can fast forward all the nonsensical commercials that come on for political candidates, because I think... Yeah, not everybody can be that bad, like what they're saying. And some of you are like, oh, no, I think they are. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to love our enemies, right? We're going to love our enemies. This certainly happens based on politics. This happens geographically. This happens economically. We see this in our country. This happens based on race. 
This happens for religious reasons. Just, I was looking up, uh, I was doing some Google searches for the number of different denominations of Christian churches in the United States alone. And they're like, well, it's really hard to gauge because there's all these independent churches, but like thousands of different denominations where what started out as one church, there was a disagreement. And instantly everyone said, well, this is us and this is them and we can't reconcile this. So maybe half this church is like, we want the windows open. Half the church is, we want the windows closed. And instantly, nope, now we're separating. Now we have a new denomination and we believe that Jesus said windows closed and that is why we firmly believe why we believe and that is why we are vehemently opposed to them, the windows open people, right? This happens in religious reasons. People divide. We want to find out who believes me, who believes like me, who is us, and who is them. And there has been tons of research done on this. If someone is in my group, I will magnify their good qualities and I will overlook, wait, yes, I will magnify their good qualities and overlook their bad qualities if you're in my group, right? We do that. If you're with me, I magnify all the good things and I overlook anything bad. If you're in them, well, we do the opposite, right? We magnify anything bad and we overlook anything good. And there's tons of research done on this. I wanted to illustrate this or uh, teach on this with a story found in Mark chapter 4 and 5. And I won't uh, read too much of it, but the story is this. Jesus is teaching and he's on a boat. And what would happen with Jesus was the crowds would gather around him And so he'd be on the shore of the lake, and the only way he could kind of get some distance between him and the crowds was to get onto the boat and pull a few feet, you know, several feet away from the shore with the disciples. And then from the boat, he would look back on the shoreline, on the hills, and teach the people from there. So Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 4 and 5. He's teaching the crowds. And when he'd finished, he told the disciples, okay, let's go to the other side. And for us, we think, okay, he's going to the other side of the lake. But for the disciples and anyone who observed this, this was huge because the other side was not just the other side of the lake, right? The other side was the region called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. This was not in Israel. These were not Israelites. The other side of the lake was a different region, a different country, different people who were pagans, who were not God followers. They didn't live like the Israelites or the Jewish people. They didn't look like them. They didn't act like them or believe like them. This was in every way imaginable, the other side. And Jesus says, let's go over there. I'm sure the disciples were like, why are we going over there? Why are we, why, this is our people here. Why are we going over to them? Why are we going over to them? They don't live like us. They don't believe like us. They are not with us. They are opposed to us. And Jesus and the disciples go to the other side of the lake. He is truly going to the other side when Jesus is doing this. And when he arrives there in the Decapolis, there are no crowds there. The only person that meets them is one man who's a crazy man, demon-possessed, foaming at the mouth, running out from, like, the caves, screaming and yelling, wearing nothing at all, okay? This is who greets them, and the disciples are like, (laughs) see, this is why we don't talk to those people, because they're all like that. No, they they meet this one guy, demon-possessed, and Jesus heals and restores this man. Well, that, of course, he delivers him from this demon activity that was going on in his life. Now, that, of course, draws a crowd. So now the region is coming out to see what all is happening. And they see what Jesus has done, this miracle. And they say, Jesus, there's a lot of details in the story we can't go into today just because of time. But they're like, Jesus, we want you to go back across the lake. You're causing a disruption here. You're causing problems here. And also they recognize that Jesus wasn't one of them. 
They recognize, you belong on the other side of the lake, Jesus. I don't know what you're doing here. Would you please leave? So the disciples and Jesus get back in the boat. The man who's been healed of demonic presence has, is asking Jesus, can I go with you? Of course he'd want to go with Jesus, right? But Jesus says, no, you stay here and you tell your story. And Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and they head over to, quote, unquote, their side of the lake. And the story ends there. We're going to pick it up a little bit later. But this is an example that Jesus is not just teaching this, but he's living this. This is an example of Jesus going to the other side. Because what we find with Jesus is that there are no sides. There are no sides with Jesus. All Jesus sees is people. Okay? All Jesus sees is people who are lost and who need love and a savior. So if you're wondering if you're on that side, yes, you are a part of the group that is lost. You are a person who's lost and needs a savior. So you're with the group called people. And that's what Jesus sees. He doesn't see us and them. He just sees people to whom he can show the way of love. Jesus teaches that the upright path is to love your enemies, to forgive people, to love those who oppose you, to refuse to view the world as us and them. Okay? That's the teaching of Jesus. There is no us and them. It's people. So I'm, think, I'm talking to us today, and some of these are going to apply to all of us, or at least one of these is going to apply to everybody. You know, isn't it amazing how easily we put people into groups? Just think about that. Think about the groups that exist in your mind. And I've already mentioned it, maybe politically, economically, social issues, all these things. Think about the people, maybe it's an individual, where you're like, that is definitely not us. <laughs> that person is definitely on the them side because they have wronged you or hurt you. Think about how often you think of somebody as a them as a them. And when we start viewing them, we magnify the bad, and we make assumptions, and we stop seeing individuals. We just see a group. We stop viewing individual stories, and we view everybody as a part of the group. And you'll know this is happening in your life, and we're all guilty of this, when you find yourself either saying or thinking something like this, well, they, they all want this. Well, that group, they're just doing this. Well, they live like this. Well, they all think this way. Have you ever found yourself thinking that? Then pick another group, whatever it's based on. And you find, or maybe you hear that from other people. Well, you know that person, he's part of them, and they all think this, or they all do this, right? We've grouped them, and now we're making assumptions about them, and we've forgotten that they are an individual. Part of the group that Jesus says, show love, show the way of love. So I'm going to, um, because I'm Canadian, I don't get to vote, so... If you're worried about, I wonder who he's going to vote for in six weeks or whatever it is, I'm not voting because I'm not allowed to, okay? Um, but here, here we, like politically speaking, all right, now please don't answer this out loud, but answer it honestly in your heart. Let me ask this question. Do you think it would be a good thing if everyone who was on the other side of you politically would just move to another country? Don't answer it, don't answer it, don't answer it. <laughs> Do you think it would be good if everybody on the other side of you politically would move to another country? The answer is... No. The answer is no. Okay? The answer is no. Some of you are really nervous right now. The answer is no. Because that thinking, that group thinking, applies to the same thing. Well, why wouldn't we say that about people who don't live like me? Or think like me? Or act like me? Or look like me? Right? We can't be grouping people and say, boy, if I could only be around people who were just like me. Maybe you're thinking that, like, boy, if I could be around, if everyone around me in this country was just like me, that would be perfect, right? No, it would not, and for two reasons. First, you're not that great, okay? First of all, right? You're not that great. 
I know for a fact that a, a country built of just people exactly like me would be awful. And if Christy was here, she'd be saying the loudest amen you can imagine at that last statement, right? She would. <laughs> she would. So the first reason we don't want to just have people like us is you're not great. You're not that great. I mean, I love you. I'm glad you're a part of the church. But you're not that great. We don't want everyone exactly like you. But the second one and the biggest one is this. That's not the kingdom. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is bigger than our groups. Jesus teaches this and lives this. He loves people. He loves the people that we think are on the other side. Jesus, what are you doing ministering to them and showing love to them? They're the thems. We're the us. But Jesus is saying the kingdom is bigger than that. The kingdom is bigger than that. Our approach to any opposition, not opposition, our approach to any battle that we have in our country, anything that's polarized, which is pretty much everything. If you watch the news, it's like any issue that comes up, you know who's on what side right away. We've categorized every issue as to the us and them. The answer is going to be for people to lay down these assumptions about a group and to just look at an individual. Because what happens when we're in a group and something happens to the other group, we say, well, you deserved it right? And this can be certainly applied to like race relations in our country. If we would just let go of this, well, that's because you did this. Or, well, it's not our fault over here. It's not our fault over here. If we could lay down some of that defensiveness, like we have to protect our group and simply just see some individual stories, simply have an attitude of apology, not like accepting all the blame. Sometimes apology is just like being empathetic and saying, man, I'm sorry that keeps happening to you. I learned this Early, I tried to learn this early on in my marriage, and I still learn this, and I get to tell these stories because Christy's up in kids' church today. This is awesome. Um, there was times where Christy and I would disagree, and she would come to me, and she would say, well, you said this, and you said this and this. And what, do I, what happens in my mind when that happens? Well, I didn't say it like that, right? Well, I didn't mean it like that. And so my instant reaction is to defend me. Well, you're blaming me for that, and I didn't mean that, so it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. And Christy would say, I don't need you to agree with me all the time. I just need you to be sorry that I'm feeling this way, sorry that I'm walking through this. It took me a long time, and I'm still learning it, that apology doesn't necessarily mean accepting all the blame. It just simply means I'm empathetic to how you feel. I recognize what you're walking through. If we could, as groups of us and them, just lay down our defensiveness and our resistance to be blamed in any sort of way and just approach it from an individual setting of, I see this happening to you, and I am sorry that this is happening to you. That alone, I think, would go a mile for reconciling all these divisions, not just in our country, but around the world. We just need to see people as people. Jesus didn't have an us and a them. There was no sides. Now, some of you might be thinking this, and I'm gonna, there's going to be a story in the book of Joshua. It's my favorite story in the Bible. It's a short little story. Because some of you think, well, but Jesus is on my side. Jesus is on my side. I know that clearly. Politically, economic, whatever it is, well, I know that Jesus is on this side. So I want to look at a story in Joshua chapter 5. You might just, you can turn there now if you have a Bible. You might want to read it this week. I love this story. This is Joshua and the Israelites. They've gone into the promised land and they're about to go battle Jericho. They're getting ready for a big battle the next day. And here's what happens in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. This is Joshua kind of preparing and praying, getting ready for what's going to happen the next day. He's all by himself and it says this in 5 verse 13. 
Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Okay, that's the end of the story. You're like, that's not such a great story. I love that story. I love that story. I love the thought. Now, in my mind, I apply always a little sarcasm, you know, in instances like this, because that's my love language. But in my mind, it goes like this. Like, I love the story because Joshua is so concerned about my side and their side, and he sees this, like, heavenly angel. And I like to imagine, like, this angel with a sword drawn, and Joshua saying, hey, whose side are you on? Are you on my side or are you on their side? And I love the angel being like, really? I'm not, I'm the commander of God's army, right? I'm the commander of God's army. We're not, we don't pick a side, but rather you can decide to be with us if you want. Like I love that picture of small human thinking about how quickly we can divide into groups. And then we say, oh, I think Jesus is on my side. Oh, but I think Jesus is on my side. I imagine moments like that. Anytime I want to divide the world into groups, I imagine this story. I imagine some heavenly angel standing there and me saying, you're on my side, right? You're on our side? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And I love the angel again with some sarcasm because it speaks to my heart saying, really? Really? Do you think for a moment, Jeff Kerr, that we were just up in heaven, God the Father and Jesus and all the heavenly angel army commanders sitting around a table frantically thinking, oh boy, we got to make sure we can be on Jeff Kerr's side of the equation here. No, there was none of that. But rather... Why don't you get with the kingdom of God? God is not picking a side, and we spend so much time trying to fit God into our box, like, well, I think God's over here, and he's going to be for this. No, God is not picking sides. Instead, God is saying, I'm God Almighty, and my kingdom is moving forward, and you can join me if you want. That's the invitation. And you know how you'll know when you're on God's side? You know how you'll know when you're on the side of Jesus is when you're doing what Jesus taught us, to love our enemies, to forgive those who have hurt you, to lay down your resentment, to not view people as opposed to you, but as people to whom you can give love and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? All right, I'm just making sure some of you are still with us. Some of you are planning where you're going to go visit church next week somewhere else. Perhaps it's not an individual. We're going to wrap up just in a couple of minutes. Perhaps it's not an individual. Perhaps your thing is not group mentality. Perhaps you're not dividing the world into us and them. But perhaps your issue with this topic is an individual. Perhaps this whole time you've been thinking, there is someone who has hurt me, and I'm never forgiving them, and I'm never letting them off the hook. Someone who has done something that has drastically affected your life, and yet you read those words of Jesus, forgive your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus is teaching is this, and what we know just from medical research, is that bitterness and anger and resentment, 
and desire for revenge will eat you alive. It'll just eat you up from the inside, that, those words that will take root in your heart like a weed that has got roots way deep in the soil, and you are trying to get rid of it, and you can't get rid of it. It has taken root. This is what will happen when you refuse to forgive. Now, I want to clarify this. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgive, if there's a relationship that has hurt you, forgiveness is not, okay, let's get back together so you can hurt me again. That's not what it's about. Forgiveness is not reconciliation or even forgetting what has happened. What forgiveness is doing is, what forgiveness does, it's you saying, I'm just letting go of my resentment. I'm letting go of my bitterness. I'm letting go of my desire to hurt you back, which can be really hard sometimes. Maybe that's why you're laying awake some nights, because you have all these revenge things that you're like, oh, if only this could happen, this would be awesome. And, you know, it's letting those things go. That's what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting. It's not allowing somebody to continue to hurt you. There are times when certainly boundaries need to be set up, right? I have friendships that were really close friendships in my past, and because of just patterns of hurt, nothing serious, but just patterns of hurt that were never really addressed and never really talked about, it just kept happening, I realized, you know what? I forgive that person. I'm fine when I'm around that person. There's no bitterness or resentment there, but I'm gonna, we're going to separate this friendship a little bit. I'm not going to put myself in a spot where you can continue to treat me that way, okay? And some of you are like, I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is, because some of you know, you know, have known me for a long time. It's not important who it is. It was Joel Peranto. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The point was, forgiveness is not like, oh, let's allow that person to keep hurting me. You don't forgive for their sake, okay? You're not forgiving someone who's hurt you for their sake. You're forgiving them for your sake, right? You're not letting them off the hook. You're letting yourself off the hook. When you can forgive someone, you are letting yourself off the hook. The only person held hostage by your unforgiveness is you. You might think you're keeping them hostage by never letting them know that you forgive them. No, the only person held hostage by your bitterness and unforgiveness is you. That's it. That's it. Your unforgiveness is affecting you. It's making it impossible for you to live healthy upright in the path that God has for you. Now, here's the deal, and I'm speaking to you. If this is you and you have a hurt in your past that you can't let go of, this is for you. You can't change that. You can't change the past. Nothing you do is going to change what happened. The only thing you can do today, the only choice you have today is how you will live today moving forward. That's it. All along, we've been talking about when you live on the wrong path, sometimes it takes you a while to realize you're lost, and the only thing you can do when you've messed up, you can't fix the problem immediately, but you can just get on the right path. That's the path that you need to get on today. That's the path, is to let it go, because you are not going to change the past the only thing you can decide today is where you're going to step and move from today forward. Am I going to live every day plagued and shackled by unforgiveness, bitterness, or anger? Am I going to choose to forgive so that I can move on, so that I can walk in the path that God has for me? Amen? Is that what we could do today? Just today I'm going to choose to let it go. I'm going to forgive them. It might even be a phone call to somebody and say, you know what? I know this is all messed up, but I want you to know that I forgive you, and I am walking in love and mercy, and I'm moving forward, right? Imagine the weight that you could feel let off of you when you do that. This is why Jesus is teaching this to us. Love your enemies. Forgive those. Pray for those who persecute you so that you can move forward, so that you can walk in the path that God has for you, so that things can go well for you. As we wrap up in just a minute, 
I want to tell the rest of the story of the Decapolis, when Jesus went to the other side with the crazy, demonic-possessed person. Jesus and the disciples go back over to their side. Well, a few chapters later, they return. They go back to the Decapolis. Now, this time, it's not just one crazy person who meets them. Now, the whole region is coming. And the whole region is coming and praising Jesus and saying, I'm bringing, and they're bringing everybody who is sick because they know Jesus can heal. The guy that Jesus said, you stay here and tell your story, well, he did. And he told his story. And enough people were like, I remember you as the crazy naked guy. Now you are here in your right mind and with clothes on, and you're saying that Jesus healed you. So they're bringing, Jesus comes back, and all of a sudden the whole region is bringing everybody sick because they know Jesus can touch them. That is an example of one person who went to the other side, who just went to the other side and showed love. And at first it was not received super well. But after a while, what fruit can come if just some people say, you know what, I'm going to go to the other side and I'm going to offer love, the way of love and mercy and forgiveness. That is the thing. If just the Christ followers would just do that, that's the thing that's going to bring so much light and healing into our opposition culture that we live in. If we would do that, that's going to bring light and healing into broken relationships. That's going to allow you to walk in the way of love and light, the upright path that God has for each of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we again surrender to you. Sometimes we don't like what your word says, but we recognize this is your word for us. And so it's all about whether we will surrender to you and walk in the path that you have for us. So I pray that you would give each of us the courage and the boldness to walk in faith in the path that you have for us. And if there is somebody today that is hurt and carrying around resentment and baggage and unforgiveness that is just swallowing them up, I pray that you would nudge on their heart today, encourage them to lay that down, and that you would fill them with new life. For relationships that are hurting that need to be mended, I pray that you would bring reconciliation. But for each of us, God, we just commit to walk in your path. We want to bring you honor by being obedient to what you have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.